Chapter Seven of A Book of Bargains. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. A Book of Bargains by Vincent O'Sullivan. Hugo Raven's Hand. One. The girl had always been an annoyance to Hugo Raven, even when their relations had been most intimate. He had found her petulant, wayward, at times a little morose, and now, although he had not seen her for nearly a year, the recollection of her vaguely troubled him. She had letters of his, for instance, eager, passionate letters, written in warm and unwary moments, which he regretted, and these letters, exposed just at this point of his career, might prove disastrous. "'What a bother she is, that Grace Cascot,' he said to himself." He sat to breakfast one Sunday morning in summer, in his chambers in the temple. The rooms were light and charming, a drowsy peace had settled on everything. Through the open windows the breath of the lime-trees in King's Bench Walk floated in, and a humming bee would now and then hover above a bowl of wet, amber-coloured roses. He had the morning post of yesterday propped up before him, so ordered that he could with ease read this advertisement a marriage has been arranged and will shortly take place between hugo raven esq of the inner temple barrister-at-law and hilda only daughter of sir matthew chancel baronet of twelve walpole street mayfair and the priory little madden dorset he read this advertisement so often that he noted how one of the letters in his name was a little out of place printed higher than the others and he was irritated but he thought that the advertisement on the whole ran very well he leaned back in his chair stroking his beard with his large powerful hand on which he wore two rings and stared at the ceiling yes certainly he had done well for himself in the world had now in his thirty-fifth year reached the home stretch as people say he had been only an ordinary passman at oxford but when he came to town he discovered in the law which has the reputation of being so dry matter which for him was not dry at all well just this interest of his in his subject taken with his somewhat arrogant overbearing could it have been what is called brow-beating manner was found most valuable in his practice at the bar after a while he became accustomed and began to be talked about he was said to be a safe man to have on your side then he went a great deal into london society with the purpose of discovering some woman who had money enough to be his wife this girl, Hilda Chancel, he had now found. He was rather a favourite with people. Sometimes he engaged a little with the fine arts. He painted tiny pictures of fields and farmhouses and sunsets and watercolours. He said he adored music, and in a box at an opera of Wagner, would pass a pleasant hour in conversation. When there was nobody to talk to, he yawned and looked horribly bored. Then he told you afterwards how the music had charmed him he despised men of letters whom he called writing chaps and had the illusion like many another that if he could only spare an hour or two a week for trifling he could produce great books indeed he used to write sugary little verses for the albums of ladies verses about flowers and showers heart and part kiss and bliss he would read these verses to his friends and he called them his poems he had met Grace Casket, who was an assistant in a milliner's shop in Regent Street, by accident, and he had made her, a girl of this class, his mistress on principle, his principle being that an adventure which is bought is not worth having. 
hugo put his hands in his pockets and sauntered lazily to the window the sun gleamed on the buildings of the temple and all about was the stillness which makes sunday a festival in that quiet neighbourhood below the window on the gravel some pigeons gurgled and cooed that strange sound of pigeons which reminds one in some subtile fashion of the soft feel of warm milk hugo watched one of them that had gone apart from the others strutting and pruning itself with idle concentration then quite naturally his eyes fell on crown office row and the form of a woman at the far end he started wildly a sick feeling came all about his heart as if a hand had grasped him and tightened there then he fell to reasoning with himself the figure in the distance had certainly a look of grace casket but in our lives people did not appear in that way just when you were thinking of them as they did in silly novels and stories he was one of those men who having never had a taste of the marvellous their use is not to stand in doubt but to deny strenuously that marvels happen he watched the woman as she came slowly along swinging her parasol and stopping now and then to look over the gardens toward the river an old gatekeeper in his coat with brass buttons hobbled by she spoke to him and he seemed to be indicating this very house after that she came straight for the entrance how absurd thought hugo there are other men on the staircase beside myself he heard her slow rather heavy step on the wooden stairs and the hush of her dress she knocked at his door it was grace casket sure enough what a misfortune he thought of resting still so that she might conclude he was out she knocked again ah curse her she was sure to go to whitcomb's room opposite and ask about him he walked with quick hard steps and unlocked the door oh hugo come in come in somebody may see you when she entered the room the first thing she did was to cross over and bury her face in the cool roses hugo thought that was rather pretty of her she was tall and fair-formed of the english type of prettiness of beauty if you will with her scarlet lips her cheeks cream and red and her waving bronze-coloured hair her hands were large and covered with black gloves when she sat down she let her hands fall together in her lap and hugo perceived that there was a hole in the finger of a glove there was a note of the provinces in her speech it came like the odour of fields in a dusty street on a hot day sometimes she neglected to give the letter h its full value and when she observed that she had done so she became confused and added the letter to the next word in her mouth which began with a vowel this habit lent a quaint effect to her talk and it greatly annoyed hugo raven how different she is from hilda chancel he thought she sat looking at hugo who was standing won't you talk to me hugo asked the girl at last a little plaintively oh yes of course i'll talk to you i suppose you came here to talk he answered roughly why did you come here will you be good enough to tell me that hugo dear please don't be angry with me i can't stand your anger she stood up and stretched out her arms then drew them in and clasped her hands on her breast a graceful unconscious action i read in the paper yesterday that you are engaged to be married i didn't know where to find you before oh you can't think what i suffered this last year for six weeks i was so ill that i couldn't work and i had no one to turn to then this morning i came here i met an old man outside i think he belongs here and he shewed me the house he seemed to know you very likely hugo answered abruptly now then what do you want what do i want oh hugo dearest don't talk to me like that 
you kill me why i want you dear you 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 are everything in the world to me don't marry this other girl no matter how nice she is she can't love you as i do don't marry her marry me marry you marry a girl out of a bonnet shop you must be mad he exclaimed brutally great heavens that would be a fine ending of my career upon my word i congratulate you on your inspiration possibly to endure his brutality had become a habit with her for she went on as though he had not spoken or don't marry me if you don't like only let me be near you always never go away from you i will be so quiet and good and i'll try hard to improve indeed i will oh my god how much i love you she cried and began to sob there fell a silence a warm air glided softly into the room and stirred the curtains the flutter of the pigeons sounded far off stealthily the sun had crept to the bowl of roses and was drying them in a sharp hard tone a clock struck the quarter i suppose you are thinking she said wearily that it would be as well if i was dead as a matter of fact he had been thinking of nothing whatever he started now and looked up you know i have always liked you gracie he murmured taking a pen from the table and playing with it she heard him call her gracie and her eyes cleared oh hugo let us forget all that has happened let us forget this dreadful last year let us go on as we used to and have our own love i've got all your letters and i read them sometimes and think how sweet you were do you remember yes i remember let us begin again all the dear old things our long nights together our walks i was going to propose a walk somewhere hugo said you know action green where we used to walk we shall go there can you come tomorrow ah not tomorrow but tuesday very well on tuesday i will meet you there about five o'clock i can't get away before but the days are long you know and now he added looking at his watch i'm afraid i must ask you to leave me i have two or three people coming to see me about some business matter and i should not like them to find you here kiss me before i go hugo dear she said you have not kissed me for so long he kissed her tenderly enough you do love me don't you she cried clinging to him you know i love you he answered slowly he watched her as she went down the stairs at the end of the first flight she paused as if taking thought on tuesday remember you will be sure to come she called on tuesday have i not said tuesday said hugo with an impatient laugh and banged his door two it had become a custom with hugo since his engagement to dine at sir matthew chancel's house on sunday evenings on this sunday after his interview with grace casket he talked a great deal hilda chancel thought he was brilliant and wonderful just at that time the evening papers were packed with details of an atrocious murder in the drawing-room after dinner they talked of murders miss chancel loved them she would like to know a murderer she said murderers were adorable creatures hilda cried her mother hilda chancel was tall and thin of a remarkable appearance she had an easy temperament a temperament which inclined her towards letting things go loosely by she made rash little speeches either because she thought they were clever or because she did not think at all now she laughed oh hugo you must help me she exclaimed 
don't you simply worship murderers ah i'm afraid i can't help you in this he said gravely a murderer sins deeply against his fellow-men i wonder how we can live after the act how we can endure the remorse if i were to commit a murder i should see only one way out of the misery and that way would be suicide everybody thought that this was extremely well said hilda who took her morals from him let the topic fall shortly after hugo went away as he was walking rapidly to his club he was hailed in a thick and jovial voice why raven old chap i haven't seen you for an age how'd you do old bird you're not so great that you can't notice a fellow hugo knew who had stopped him how are you scarford he said frigidly and was for going on this scarford was a doctor a man of parts yet a hopeless failure he had taken a good degree in science with half of his strength and had been at one time an enthusiastic scholar of a sudden he had become gross and slovenly a railer at decorum and now he went through life unshorn and sodden-eyed he frequented the houses of coal in the strand consorting with second-rate actors and knew a barmaid at every inn between trafalgar square and ludgate circus he and raven had been at harrow together where he had often done raven's latin for him during the past five years whenever raven sighted him in the distance he thought it his duty to cross the street to avoid a meeting with him i am in a hurry scarford he said now trying to brush past but the other was too quick for him and grasped his arm let us have a drink together he stammered a thought shot through hugo's head where are you living now he asked oh somewhere in the forest of south kensington you know it is a forest said scarford with a loud laugh hugo just smiled have you a surgery there and drugs and all that he went on to make sure that he would not be wasting his time with a sot oh yes i suppose they are all there unless somebody has run away with them i say old chap you're much too sober and so am i let us go and have a drink for a full hour hugo sat on a high stool before a bar drinking whisky and was introduced to people whom he devoutly wished never to meet with again there was a girl behind the bar with a look remote from innocence in whom scarford was interested could it be the curious chemistry of her hair hugo wondered when at last they came into the open air the doctor turned very drunk hugo proposed to drive home with him and they went off in a hansom at his house scarford produced more whisky and they sat in the surgery drinking and talking together hugo spoke of poisons he had been reading some cases of strange subtle poisonings lately and he remembered one affair in particular which had come under his notice when he was last on circuit he contradicted the doctor on some points and the latter grew angry you shall see for yourself he cried he got up and fetched three jars i've got some stuff here that will kill a horse in less than five minutes how very interesting says hugo smelling at the jars dear me i had no idea may i take a little of this i you see i am a little of a chemist myself and i should like to analyse this at my leisure you may take the whole blooming lot if you like said scarford slapping his legs and laughing only don't ask me to pay the undertaker i'll go as chief mourner to see me a chief mourner at old raven's funeral <laughs> and he roared and hiccuped brushing the tears from his face hugo went back to his chambers very gaily 
and all the next day he carried a light heart on tuesday he was busy and it was after six o'clock when he arrived at acton green grace casket was waiting for him how late you are how could i get here before he asked crossly then he subdued the irritation which this girl always caused him and went on quietly i came as soon as i could i was engaged all day yes i know dear i was stupid to say that have you been here long he asked not because he cared but because he could think of nothing else to make conversation since four o'clock i know you said five but i had an idea that i might miss you and i have something important to say she looked as if she had been crying well won't you say it now not yet please i would rather wait a while they walked on through the strange pretty village strange because it is like a toy or model village set down in the midst of one of the ugliest parts of london till they came to a stile on the other side of which was a path which led over the fields to willesden it was very still overhead the leaves of the trees intermingling looked like patterns of brussels lace the sun having hung in the sky for some time like a plate of red-hot metal suddenly dropped down and night was there tell me your important thing gracie not yet not yet oh i can't yet she was only playing on him in her old silly way he thought it was her troublesome tortuous method again and it maddened him they climbed the stile and walked some yards till they came to a clump of bushes hugo looked all around why won't you tell me hugo dearest you did not kiss me when we met and i feel so tired you have not kissed me to-day no by god but i'll kiss you now and with that he drove a knife into her neck behind the ear she gave a deep groan and hugo put his hand over her mouth to stifle her she caught his hand between her teeth and bit it then they fell on the ground together and hugo saw her eyes staring up at him full of hate or love he could not tell which only recognized a great longing for the power of speech to say one word in them she dug her fingers into the earth and stretched out straight stiff and straight she was dead he bound his bleeding hand with his handkerchief and fled from the corpse leaving the knife a common one not easily to be recognized in the neck as he sped over the field he had but one thought she is dead i shall not have to marry her no exposure she is dead marry a girl like that who could hardly spell and her rough hands no a thousand times no he ran and this thought ran in his company till he came face to face with a man whom he took to be a tramp by one of those uncontrollable impulses which impel us at times to do just what we would not he was moved to accost the man and asked the way to wilson the man told him civilly enough and then begged hugo gave him two shillings and started off again how mad of him to speak to the tramp the man must have noted even in the dusk his disturbed air and to give him two shillings a ridiculously large sum it was like hush money so he came to wilsden little jets of gas were springing up in the street before a flaring public-house he paused and then went in inside there were a number of rough-looking men who kept their eyes fixed on hugo he asked for their best brandy and remained drinking deeply for half an hour he was not the philosophic murderer careless and indurated he was appalled and his heart was oppressed by the horrible deed he had done and he drank because he wanted to forget that white thing lying away there among the bushes after a while he began to talk to the men and treated some of them 
they grew familiar give every man in the place a drink at my expense cried hugo and started to sing a catch i don't know so much about that says the barman truculently putting his thumbs in his waistcoat i think you've had about enough what's the matter with that there hand of yours the blood had soaked through the handkerchief and a red stain shoed hugo explained that he had fallen on the steps of the underground railway i think after this one you'd better get home the man said when he had served the drinks soon you won't know where you are you've got a tidy lot inside you already my good friend exclaimed hugo my dear and good friend i knew you were my friend the moment i saw you as you say and as i say home is the place now i'll go home if you can get me a cab cab sir i'll get you a cab said a thin red-haired fellow by the door he darted out and returned in a few minutes with a cabman at his heels here's a four-wheeler sir i got him for you sir is that what you want me to drive cried the cabman in great disgust i thought as you said a toaf here you jimmy do you want me to drive him that ain't no toaf why look at his eyes he's a trying to laugh and he's just green afraid of something come now don't give us any of that said the man behind the bar who was anxious to be rid of hugo if you don't want to drive the gentleman somebody else will he stood drinks to every man in the place and he'll give you one too if you want it what'll you have why if he's got the money then that's all right answered the cabman on whom the speech had taken effect if he pays my fare it's no business of mine and i ask his parting if i said what's a bit off i ain't particular who i drive nor nobody ever said it on me either he took his drink and going outside held the cab door open while hugo stumbled into the cab then he climbed on the box and the cab rattled away in the cab the thought of the murdered girl came once more to hugo he saw her face her dress the hands he had despised so much in especial he saw that last lingering look in the eyes ere the life died out of them forever he beat his hands and rubbed his face the thought was still present he put his head out of the window the dead face grinned at him in the darkness as the cab jolted along the quiet roads he heard a hoarse voice singing a ditty which was popular at the time but all the same it is a shame to leave a pretty maidy when every little gentleman walks on with the little lady it was the cabman who was thus endeavouring to make the hour go lightly hugo knew the song and bawled out the next stanza at four a.m. be cuddle them as through the streets for going to stand to one we see the sun and hear the cocks a growing a drunken loon the barefaced moon leaves the useful corner shady when every little gentleman walks home with the little lady the cab began to go slower and then it stopped the cabman got off the box and shoved his red pimpled face through the open window look here governor he said just drop it will you i don't know who you are nor where you come from and i don't want to but i sing this ere song on sundays to my missus and the kids and i don't want to think when i'm singing it maybe next sunday that you've been a-singing of it too you may be balmy or you may have taken an extra drop but anyhow i don't like you that's all if you don't take what i say i'll set you down here it's all one to me hugo smiled gravely very well very well says he i'll do anything you want only get on for the love of god he cried the terror which was in his soul leaping to his eyes for a moment get on get on drive away from this cursed place here i know you are a good chap shake hands and he held out his hand wrapped in the stained handkerchief 
now i don't want any of your blood replied the cabman roughly but i suppose i'll drive you he climbed in his box and the cab rumbled on again three early on thursday afternoon hugo raven sat in his chambers in the temple he was very serene the long choking agony which had come on the heels of the murder had given place to a sense of relief and now he only thought what a benefit it was to have no more of the girl he had eagerly scanned the papers to see if the body had been discovered but the matter was not mentioned by any of them it was very hot not a leaf stirred on the trees outside his windows and the hum and murmur of the busy crowd beneath lulled and soothed him how fortunate he was he was waiting for lady chancel and her daughter who had gone to see someone or other in the city and were to pick him up on the way back he was going to take them to a private view in bond street of the works of a painter he dozed yes how fortunate he was there was a knock at the door and hilda and her mother entered hugo was immediately alert and attentive pushing up comfortable chairs and offering iced drinks hilda looked deliciously fresh and cool in a dress of some white clinging stuff and a large hat with drooping flowers she drew off one of her gloves and her thin hand reminded him of the women in rossetti's pictures not that he liked rossetti's pictures but he liked hands of that kind they were so different from well no matter we have just come from that horrid city said miss chancel and it is so nice of you to give us something with ice in it hugo i wonder if there's any smoke left in the other parts of london the people in the city look as if they absorbed it all they are black poor dears murmured lady chancel and they seem in such a hurry on a day like this the girl went on one ought to sit on a rock without clothes like the people we shall probably see in the pictures in a few minutes sucking cold drinks through a straw my dearest hilda exclaimed her mother whose life had by this time become one long protest against her daughter's talk and one long submission to her daughter's will but the pictures do not suggest the whole truth said hugo smiling and bending forward you see there might come a time of storm yes sighed the girl i suppose one would have to keep one's clothes to provide against the storm i don't like storms there came a rap at the door what a bother cried hugo pardon me a moment till i see who it is two men stood in the passage mr hugo raven says one yes thank you sir i come from scotland yard we want to see you about a girl named grace casket who was found murdered on wednesday morning in the fields near acton before hugo could stop them they had shoved past him into the room one was a tall man with an authoritative manner the other was low-sized with sandy hair and beard and stupid fish-like eyes good afternoon ladies said the big man hugo followed them a little pale but perfectly tranquil he put his right hand which was almost healed into the pocket of his trousers this is lady chancel and her daughter he explained i am engaged with them can't you come some other time or we can go if you have business hugo said hilda rising i think i'd like the ladies to remain says the little man yes added the other the ladies might remain i think you said you knew this grace casket he went on turning sharp on hugo i said nothing of the kind did you know her hugo got rather confused the presence of hilda and her mother was against him i did not he answered that's very odd said the little man 
because there was a letter found on her addressed to you let us go mother cried hilda rising again decisively if you will please to stay madam said one of the men you shan't be kept long this is monstrous hugo broke out perfectly monstrous to keep the ladies here against their will he did not say more however lest he should have the appearance of being guilty suppose you read that letter for the gentleman william observed the big man so the little man read it slowly haltingly in his squeaky voice my own hugo if i have not the courage to say what i want to-night i am going to send you this letter somehow i don't think i shall speak to you before we part to-night oh it is so hard to say but i thought you were a little cold to me when i saw you on sunday but it may be my imagination hugo darling i don't know how to say it right but if you really love this other girl more than me take her dear and i shall never see you or trouble you again i will send back all your letters if you want them but i should like to keep them they will be all i have of you my own hugo i hope you will be always happy think of me sometimes my heart is breaking with all my love gracie hugo sat by the table shading his face with his left hand then this was the important thing she had wanted to say she had made her great renunciation she had yielded of her own accord and the murder was useless after all he felt a spasm of pity for the poor dead face was it already beginning to rot and grow shapeless he turned his eyes hilda was very white and lady chancel looked old and wrinkled and yellow of course you did know this girl mr raven said the detective she was my mistress for three years i had not seen her for a year she came here on sunday and made a scene and to pacify her i promised to meet her on tuesday i did not keep that appointment well now that's strange remarked the big man a gentleman answering to your description spent about an hour in the stag of ten public at Wilston on tuesday night i was not the man hugo said low and doggedly not then this gentleman whoever he was took a four-wheeler as far as the marble arch there he discharged the four-wheeler and took a hansom the driver of the four-wheeler didn't like the looks of his fare so he took the number of the hansom the driver of the hansom has been found and remembers perfectly driving a gentleman to the temple from the marble arch on tuesday night he says the gentleman was drunk he says too that he heard the gate porter say good night mr raven as you that is as the gentleman went in all this time the little man was edging over to the table on the right side of hugo now he knocked over as if by chance a valuable porcelain vase instinctively hugo plucked his hand from his pocket to save it the little man grasped him by the wrist how dare you seize my hand you scoundrel yelled hugo losing all control let go my hand but the little man held him with a grip like steel look at the wound on this hand ladies please he called i want you to see this hand before it heals the dead woman had blood in her mouth she bit the man that murdered her there was a close silence then hugo rose of course if you want to make evidence out of this bruise on my hand he said calmly i am naturally powerless there is one thing however which will throw great light on this matter it is in my bedroom let me go there i shall return at once the detectives knowing that he could not escape agreed what followed passed so quickly that no one had time to interfere hugo raven came back into the room 
laid his hand on the table and then drawing a small axe from under his coat he sent it through his wrist it fell with a dull thud if you think my hand is such a valuable piece of evidence gentlemen there it is for you and he tossed it into the empty grate he gave a groan and staggered over to the mantelpiece scarford knows something after all he muttered he has poisoned himself said the little man who had been in the bedroom he did it well too he can't live more than a minute his eyes grew larger and larger they seemed to start from the sockets his tongue shot out all black and furred still he did not fall the blood from the stump fell drip 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 on the carpet end of chapter seven end of a book of bargains by vincent o'sullivan